be with you. Um, uh, you know, this, this last month, if you haven't been here, I'll just sum it up this way. We, we have been praying as a church family, one simple thing. We've been saying, hey, God, w- would you awaken us? Like, like, would you awaken our hearts, our minds, our will, our lives, our times? Like, would you awaken us to who you are and to, and to what it is that you're doing in the world? Because we're convinced, you know, this is where we started four weeks ago together, is that Nashville doesn't need another church. Nashville needs a, a church that's filled with people that are waking up to the reality of God. Like, like Nashville doesn't need another place where people show up and they consume sermons and they sing songs and they give a little bit of time, a little bit of money, a little bit of energy. Like Nashville needs a group of people that are being awakened to the reality of who God is. And so all month long, we've just been saying, hey, God, like, would you, would you wake us up? Would you stir us up? Would you move us? God, would you do what only you can do? Because the truth is that is where life is found. And I think one of the, the burdens in my heart as we've been going through this season together is I've just been reminded of how easy it is to stay asleep. Like, like how easy it is to just stay exactly as you are. You know, it's amazing what human beings can do when they're asleep. Think about in college, I had a roommate who would sleep with his eyes open. And just raise your hand if you've ever known someone that would sleep with their eyes open. It's kind, of, it's kind of a weird thing if you've never seen it like before. You know, we'd walk in, he'd be sitting on his couch, his eyes would be open, he'd have the computer in his lap, the TV would be on, and we'd start talking to him. And uh, he would even respond sometimes. Like, and it would take a sentence or two for us to recognize that, well, he's actually asleep. Now we can mess with him as any good friends would do. You know, it, it, we can do incredible things in our sleep. Or I think about somebody in my family, I won't say her name because she's a podcaster and she would kill me, but I have a, a member of my family who at times has been known to eat in her sleep. And I, I, I kid you not, we would see her in the kitchen and she'd be eating dessert. And uh, the, the next day she would be like, hey, um, where'd my dessert go? And we're like, we saw you eat it last night. <laughs> this is not my wife for the record. This is like uh, extended family. And and uh, she'd sit there and eat in her sleep. And it's crazy, like, what you're capable of doing in your sleep. Or uh, I think about Aaron, you know, the guy that was up here a few minutes ago leading us through prayer. He and I have been friends for a really long time. I remember when we were in college one time, he was passing through Nashville. And we went and ate dinner together. We are sitting there eating dinner at Baja Burrito. And in the middle of our conversation uh, at dinner, we said, let's go to Chicago tonight. Let's just take a road trip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So one person likes Chicago road trips, whatever it was. So we, we get in the car, just like college guys would do. We drive to Chicago. Uh, we get there, we're exhausted. We don't have any money to do anything, so we spend the whole next day just walking around Chicago in the middle of the winter, freezing cold, having a blast. And then it dawns on us that we don't have any money to, to stay in Chicago. Like, we can't spend the night there. So now we have to get in the car and drive all the way back to Nashville, totally exhausted. And so I remember, you know, the, the next day we, we wake up, we're somewhere in Indiana, I have no idea how we got there. We're in this deserted parking lot. Our car is still running, the heat is blasting. We're wearing our jackets, and I kid you not, a goat, a live goat, is looking in the window of our car. <laughs> now, here, here's the crazy thing. Not an ounce of alcohol is involved in that story at all. Like, <laughs> like just to sleep. Like, and we're like, how do we get here? It's like, I, I don't know. Like, like, we drove down the interstate. We made a decision that, like, thank God we didn't kill anybody. You know, like, we drove in our sleep. And, 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 and you can do amazing things in your sleep. And I'm like, man, it, it is possible it's possible to spend your whole life in church and never wake up. It's possible to spend a whole month in a community of people that are fasting and seeking God and never wake up. And we've been asking God, God, would you just awaken us? Like, like would you stir us up? Would you make our hearts and our minds and our lives sensitive? 
to the realness of who you are, Jesus. And that's what we've, we've been praying. It's like, that's what was happening in the book of Nehemiah. And so this morning, as we end this season of prayer and fasting, I just want us to ask a simple question. What does it look like when you actually start waking up? Because sometimes you can pray for something and even see that something answered and never have any idea it's been answered. And this morning, I just want us to see kind of through a few stories of Nehemiah how wonderfully simple and ordinary spiritual awakening can actually look. I think sometimes we think about spiritual awakening and we think about these huge mountaintop moments and that certainly is true and that happens. But there are other times when spiritual awakening looks so ordinary, we don't even know it. But we've just been asleep so long, we don't even know that God's stirring us. And so I want to see it. So here, here's the cliff notes if you haven't been with us over the last month. You know, the people of God, uh, their, their walls or their city had been broken down. Things were lying in ruin. Their families were a mess. Their spiritual journey was a mess. And for 140 years, nobody had paid really any attention to what was going on with the spiritual condition of the people of God except for God. And God begins to wake up this guy named Nehemiah. And so first week, we, we looked at that picture, that moment where he's beginning to be awakened to what God was trying to do. And then that second week, you know, God begins to kindle that awakening. He's in that place of waiting. He's, he's praying. He sees the, the opportunity on the horizon, but God hadn't opened the door for him to step through it. Then you remember that moment if you're with us. Nehemiah faces the fear. He steps into the king. He says, this is what God's put in my heart. In our third week together, it was the moment of opposition. You know, God opens the opportunity and hell brings the opposition. He begins to fight for the awakening. And then last week, as Aaron started teaching us the first part of chapter eight, uh, the awakening started breaking out. The people were hungry for God, like they were worshiping God. They were, they were coming to God, and, and all of a sudden, the awakening was beginning to be celebrated. But this morning, I just want you to notice what spiritual awakening actually look like, looks like as it goes on from there. And there's a lot of ways that you could describe spiritual awakening, but I just kind of want to give us one word this morning, one handle to hold on to, and it's the word ownership. Because so often, spiritual awakening looks as ordinary as somebody taking ownership of what God's beginning to do in them. And this sort of ownership is gonna take so many different facets. We're gonna look at several different chapters this morning, but I want you to hold on to that word because I'm convinced that God has been awakening some of you this month, you don't even know it yet. Or that God's on the verge of awakening some of you and you don't know how to step into it. And this is what it looks like. So we're gonna start in chapter eight, verse, uh, 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 chapter eight, verse 13 of Nehemiah. And remember, they just had the big revival that we studied last week. You know, Nehemiah had called a guy named Ezra in to help him lead this revival. The people were celebrating that. And this is what it says in verse 13. It says, on the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, they gathered around Ezra, the teacher, that's who Nehemiah had brought in, to give attention to the words of the law. Now, here's what I want you to notice. If you take notes, here's the first place of ownership that you begin to see so often in spiritual awakening is that so often when the spirit of Jesus begins to wake you up, you begin to take ownership for your relationship with Jesus. Like you begin to take ownership for the journey that God has put you on. If you, if you go all the way back and you read the book of Ezra that comes right before Nehemiah, or even if you remember the first part of the story of Nehemiah that we read together four weeks ago, the people of God, their lives were in brokenness, but none of them were taking ownership for the brokenness. None of them were taking ownership for what it was that God was inviting them to do. And so God begins to stir up Nehemiah and Nehemiah comes to them and Ezra comes to them and he says, hey, God's got more for you. And there's this season in all of our lives where God raises up other people to care about our spiritual condition. For some of you that was a parent, for some of you that was a mentor, for some of you that was a friend or a house church leader or a pastor, but there's a season for all of us where God raises up a Nehemiah, raises up an Esther, raises up somebody to come take care of us. 
But the moment God begins to wake you up behind the wheel of your own spiritual journey, you begin to take ownership of your journey with God. So what happened in the book of Acts, remember when the Spirit of God was poured out on the first church? It says 3,000 people were baptized that day. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were experiencing awakening. And the first thing they did, Acts chapter two, verse 42, it says they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. I love you beginning to see this in chapter eight. Like, like the walls have been rebuilt. The city's being put back together. And all of a sudden, the people begin to devote themselves. They begin to take ownership of their relationship with God. I go, what does spiritual awakening look like? Sometimes it looks as simple as one woman or one man saying, you know what? I'm grateful for my parents. I'm grateful for my pastors. I'm grateful for my house church leaders. I'm grateful for my spouse. But from now on, it's time for me to take ownership. And I've seen hundreds of those little signal fires of awakenings burning in our church this month. I think about one guy in our church, literally in the first week of the fast, he came to me and says, Dave, here's the deal. He says, my whole life I have lived on the breadcrumbs of somebody else's spiritual journey. He says, but this month I'm going to commit to every day I'm gonna be in the word, every Sunday I'm gonna be at church, every Wednesday I'm gonna be in house church, I'm taking ownership. And I go, I don't know what you expect a spiritual awakening to look like, but sometimes it looks like ownership of your relationship with Jesus. I love that picture. So the people come to, to Nehemiah, they come to Ezra in, in verse 13 and they say, hey, we want to study the word. We want to go after the word. We want to pay attention to the word ourselves. It's kind of the first place of ownership, but it keeps going in verse 14. Look at this. It says, there they found written in the law that which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout the towns and in Jerusalem. The word of God said, go out into the hill country and bring back branches of olive trees and, olive, and wild olive trees and from myrtles and palms and shade trees to make temporary shelters as it is written. Listen to verse 16 though. It says, so the people went out and they brought back and they built themselves temporary shelters. Now, it, kind of the first place of ownership that you so often see in spiritual awakening is you begin to own your relationship with God, but so often the second place of ownership when it comes to spiritual awakening is you begin to own just the significance that obedience plays in your relationship with God. You begin to realize that obedience in the kingdom of God is not a four-letter word. <laughs> that, that obedience in the kingdom of God is not this like heavy-handed dogmatic reality, but that obedience is something that matters to God and it begins to matter to you when the Spirit of God wakes you up. Like, I love this moment that the people, they, they, they start taking ownership of the relationship with God. They, they start coming to the scriptures. And did you notice as they're reading through it says they found there in the words of God some things in the scriptures that they had not been living into. Have you ever had one of those moments before where you're like reading the word and you begin to realize that you haven't been living into something that God has called you to live into? Or maybe you begin to realize that you have been disobeying something that God has called you not to do. I don't know what that's looked like for you, but have you ever had one of those moments where you begin to recognize that the standard of God that he's called you to is something you haven't yet lived into? I don't know if you're anything like me. So often when I recognize those areas of shortcoming, I'm not very quick to just own it. <laughs> a lot of times I, I wanna hide it. I wanna ignore it. I wanna push it away. But here's what I love. When spiritual awakening begins to happen, we're not apathetic to our shortcomings. We don't write off our shortcomings. We just raise our hand and we say, hey, we recognize those shortcomings. And we say, hey, and we're gonna take obedience seriously. I think in a culture of grace like ours, and I love that we're, we have such a high culture of grace. We preach the grace of Jesus every single week because the grace of Jesus is both the beginning and the end of the truth of God. It's such a beautiful thing. But grace without truth is not very gracious. 
And there's those moments where, where you come face to face with some of our own shortcomings and the spirit of God begins to awaken us up. And the moment you begin to take ownership of this reality that obedience matters to God, you're seeing spiritual awakening. I think sometimes in our culture of grace, we confuse obedience with legalism. And I hear people say this all the time. They go, man, I know God's calling me to do this, but I don't wanna be legalistic. Some of you are so beaten up by your church cultures growing up. You go, man, in order to obey, it makes me look legalistic. I go, no, obedience is not synonymous with legalism. Obedience is synonymous with faithfulness. Obedience is synonymous with love. In fact, Jesus says, those who love me, obey me. And one of the ways that you begin to recognize the awakening of the Holy Spirit in your life is all of a sudden you begin to care about obedience. And I've seen this in our church all month long. I think about a, a young couple on the second week of the fast, they came up and they said, hey, here's the deal. We've been dating for years. Over the last two years, we've been having sex. We're not married yet. And we, we just sensed that God is calling us to a higher standard of love and of purity and of commitment to him. And, and we're asking that God would help us walk in purity until we enter into the covenant of marriage. And there's this huge moment, I'm going, man, that's awakening. That's awakening where all of a sudden there's this stirring, not just to take ownership of your relationship with God, but this stirring to say, I want to walk in obedience to the things of God because obedience brings life. Keeps going though, look at this. Jump down to chapter nine, verse one. What you notice is it says, on the 24th day of the same month, and so this keeps going on. On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites, they gathered together fasting and wearing sackcloth, putting dust on their heads. Though the Israelites' descent had separated themselves from all foreigners, they stood in their places and confessed their sins in the sins of their ancestors. And so, so often, awakening looks as ordinary as you taking ownership of your relationship with God. It looks as ordinary as you beginning to give priority to obedience of the word of God in your life. And sometimes it looks as simple as you taking ownership of this reality that confession is a life-giving practice when entrusted to the hands of Jesus. You see this over and over and over in the book of Nehemiah. As the Spirit of God wakes them up, they bring things out of hiding that they had worked to keep hidden for so long. It's what we talked about the whole month of January together. That in order to, to be fully known and fully loved, you've got to take the risk of being fully known. And we've been working together to, to, to bring things out, the things that have been in secret, saying, hey God, we wanna entrust these things to you. And it's been amazing all month long. All month long, I've seen this, like husbands and wives confessing things that had been hidden for years. Friends confessing things that had been hidden for weeks and months. Uh, roommates and house churches going, hey, we don't want to splash around in the kiddie pool of cultural Christianity anymore. We want to go deeper. And in order to go deeper, we have to believe that confession of sin is not this scary thing, but it's a life-giving reality. It says, as the Spirit of God began to awaken the people in Nehemiah, they didn't just take ownership of their friendship with God. They didn't just begin to take ownership of the significance of obedience. It says they took ownership of this reality that there were some things in their life that had to be dealt with. You know, there's some of you this month and you've taken a lot of time to deal with those things and there's some of you that are still in hiding. And I just wanna say in the grace of Jesus, find someone you trust and bring it out of hiding and let the spirit of God bring the healing there. I love what James chapter five says. He, he says, we experience healing when we confess our sins to one another. You know, when you confess your sins to God, you begin to experience forgiveness 
and life and joy, but the moment you begin to, to confess your sins to the people around you, you begin to experience the love and the grace and the mercy and the gift of somebody extending to you the physical love of Jesus. And you experience forgiveness between you and God, but so often you begin to experience healing for the first time when you bring it out into the community of faith. You know, I, I literally began to experience that this week. You know, there's something in my life, an area of sin that Sydney and I have been working through. And it's so crazy, I don't know if you're like me, but every time there's something covered up, I don't wanna deal with it. But the moment I begin to bring that thing into the light, man, the Spirit of God begins to bring healing there. And I go, what does, what does spiritual awakening look like? Spiritual awakening looks like followers of Jesus saying, hey, here's some things that have been covered. And I wanna share it with you so that the Spirit of God can begin to heal it. You know, awakening looks like us owning our walk with Jesus. Awakening looks like us taking obedience seriously. Awakening looks like us confessing sin openly and consistently for God to heal it. And number four, awakening looks like us acknowledging that sometimes worship feels more like a choice than a feeling. To recognize that sometimes worship feels more like a choice than a feeling. Look at this, it keeps going in verse five of chapter nine. People had been confessing their sins, that they felt low, they felt broken, they didn't feel like they had done much right. But Ezra and Nehemiah looked at him and said, hey, stand up and praise the Lord your God who is from everlasting to everlasting. God, blessed be your glorious name. May it be exalted above all blessing and all praise because you alone are God. There's this thing that happens in us when the Spirit of God begins to awaken us. We begin to realize that the totality of our journey with Jesus is not a journey that is totally captive to our feelings. Have you ever noticed that your feelings are so freaking fickle? Like, like, like your, your feelings are like the tides of the ocean up and down. It's like the stock market. One day it's amazing, one day it's terrible. And if your faith is built upon the foundation of your feelings, I don't know what the Greek word is for this, but you're screwed. Like, <laughs> like, like, like you're in trouble. You're in trouble if that's where it stays. That there are times when the Spirit of God wakes you up and you go, I still don't feel awake. But you say, I will choose. I will choose to worship. I will choose to lift my hands. I will choose to praise. I will choose to say that you alone are God. See, sometimes spiritual awakening feels like the warmth of God's love rushing over a church and knocking us to our face, and that's amazing. And sometimes the spiritual awakening feels like a group of people fighting through downtown traffic in the, in the context of a week that has been nothing but a struggle and walking in here sometimes with a room full of strangers saying, I don't know if I feel it, but you are still God and I will praise you. I'll raise you. I'll raise my hands. I, I've seen this all month long as people have been pursuing Jesus together in prayer. For some of you, it's been a really hard month and you haven't felt much, but you've kept showing up. You've kept going after the Lord, and it's awakening. Think about one of my good friends. For three years, he's been in a real struggle of faith. It's been really hard. It hasn't come easy for him. And every Sunday, I see him in this place, worshiping the Lord. Why? Because sometimes when the Spirit of God begins to awaken you, it feels more like a choice than a feeling. And that doesn't mean that you're any less awake. You know, I think our, our culture of quick romanticism and romantic comedies convinces, convinces us that the only attribute of love that matters is the compulsive act of love that is the response 
to an internal feeling. And I go, any married person in the room will say, sometimes the richest, deepest love is the love that keeps getting up day after day after day saying, I choose this. I choose you. And did you know that you can choose awakening? <laughs> you can choose it. So uh, awakening sometimes looks like this, this ownership of your relationship with God. Sometimes awakening looks like this, this ownership where you begin to believe that obedience matters. Sometimes awakening looks like this ownership of the sins and the things that you've hidden. Sometimes awakening looks like this ownership of saying, hey, I'm gonna choose to worship even when I don't feel like it. And last but not least, sometimes spiritual awakening looks like us choosing to own the spiritual significance of somebody else's journey. And so I love this moment as you keep reading in chapters nine and 10. They're having this awakening. God says something great in them. All these things are happening. But all of a sudden the people start going, wait, Ezra and Nehemiah came and did this for us? Who's gonna do this for the next group of people? And they literally, they start writing it down. They, they, they like get out this paper, like let's make a covenant that what Ezra and Nehemiah have done for us, we the people will do for the people that are coming behind us. Let's, let's bring about an awakening for the generation that's to come. And so they start making this covenant. Look down in chapter 10, uh, verse 35. I love this. They say, we will assume, you know, it's on the screen if you don't have a Bible, it says, we will assume responsibility or we will take ownership for bringing to the house of the Lord each year the first fruits of our crops and of every fruit tree. Down in verse 39, the end of it, it says, and we will not neglect the house of God. You know, the first time we met this group of people in the beginning of the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, these people were sitting in their brokenness, feeling sorry for themselves. None of them had taken any initiative. By the time you get to the end of the book, they're going, wait, God's done something in us. How can he use us to do something in them? And I go, this is always the arc of spiritual awakening is that all of a sudden you begin to realize that God has something in you that he wants to use to bless somebody around you. And that awakening, that's what we started with in the first week, it never ends with you. It never ends with you. Like this is the difference between a, an infant and an adult. You know, so you think about like in, in the biological sense, when an infant is born, they can't take care of themselves, can't feed themselves, can't dress themselves. Everything that has to happen for a baby, they need somebody else to do it for them, right? And so when they're hungry, they cry and somebody feeds them. And then the kids get older and they start feeding themselves. That's an amazing like, gift from God. <laughs> and then it gets even better. One day they'll maybe buy their own food, which sounds amazing, and then cook their own food. Wow. And then, and then one day there's gonna be a moment where my sons are actually feeding their kids, Lord willing. And that's the, that's the journey of biological growth. It's the journey of spiritual growth as well. When you first come into the kingdom of God by the power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of Jesus, you need somebody to feed you. Hey, feed me, teach me the word, lead me, show me the way to lead. And that's a great place to start, but it's not where you're supposed to stay. And I hear this all the time, especially in the American church, you have to be really careful of this. It's possible for you to be a Christian for 50 years and to still be living as a spiritual infant. You know, spiritual infants say things like this, I'm just not being fed enough. I just need to be fed, I need somebody to feed me. Who says that? In infants, right? But then they begin to grow up and they go, okay, I'm, I'm growing in the Lord. I know I'm stepping on some toes. It's okay, it's church, it's what we do. Like, you, you begin growing up and you say, hey, it's time to take responsibility for my journey. I'm gonna get in the Word and I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something. But man, as spiritual awakening has its hold in your life, all of a sudden you start going, okay, God's done something to me, but what about others? Who needs to be fed? And I love this. I look across our church over the last month and I see this awakening. I see people opening up their homes on Sundays to give people a place of connection. 
I see people coming and saying, hey, we're praying for discipleship. There's this one woman in our church who's been praying that God would raise up the level of biblical literacy in our church. I don't know how many of you have been praying that this month, but that's what she's been praying. She's saying, hey, God, would you use me to raise the temperature of what you're doing here? People have been praying about discipleship and maturity and formation. I go, those are the prayers of people that are being awakened. And I go, all month long, we've been saying, hey, God, would you wake us up? Would you wake us up? Would you stir us from our sleep? But the question is, what does it look like when you get woken up? I think a lot of times it just looks as simple as ownership. Saying, hey, God, I'm gonna own my relationship with you. God, I'm gonna own the significance that obedience plays. God, I'm gonna own that there are things in my life that need to be uncovered and dealt with. God, I'm going to own that sometimes this life with you feels more like a choice than a feeling. And God, I'm going to own that this is not all about me. And there's a moment where God says, listen, Ethos, if you wanna be wide awake, we've got to make the shift from being a community full of consumers to being an army filled with the Spirit of God to contribute to the movement that God's trying to awaken. And when spiritual awakening begins to stir, sometimes it's fantastic and ecstatic and over the top. And sometimes it's as simple as a group of people saying, we're gonna take 30 days and we're gonna pray and we're gonna trust that God will do what only God can do. As I, I've had the joy of serving this church for nine years. And in all seriousness, I, I can't remember a 30-day stretch in our entire history where I've seen so much activity of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I've seen dozens of marriages begin literally the, the journey of restoration over the last 30 days. We've seen people called into ministry. We've seen people lay down sins. We're seeing people confess things that are going on. We're seeing people that are getting, getting healed. And I go, guys, we're just getting started. And I, I don't know about you. I go, it's the end of this little season, but it is the beginning of a brand new way of living. And the next week we're gonna come together and we're gonna go, okay, like what's next? Like, like, like what do we lean into? But before we do any of that, this morning, I just wanna end this season just with a moment of deep gratitude for what God has done. And I think sometimes in our American tendencies, we are so consumed with the next, we forget to thank God for the right now. And to just thank God. And so here's what we're gonna do here in just a second. I'm gonna, we're gonna break up into groups of two or three. Before we go take communion, before we end with a song or two of worship, we're gonna break up into to groups of two or three. And, and I wanna challenge you to just simply thank God for the way that he's brought about awakening in our church. For some of you, that's been in a personal awakening. So I want you to share that with somebody and to spend some time just thanking God in prayer for that. Some of you have not experienced awakening, at least as you see it yet this month. But this is not just about you. It's about all of us and what God's doing. So would you take this time to thank God for what he's doing in the lives of other people in our church? And so for most of you, I just wanna invite you to just spend this time just thanking God for what he's doing. For some of you, maybe there's a second prayer point that you need. You know all month long, God has been inviting you to take a step that you never had the courage to take, a step that you never leaned into. And so I wanna invite you in this prayer time to say, God, would you give me the courage to step into that which you've been inviting me to step into all month long? And so I wanna pray over us, and then I'm gonna invite you to get in groups for a few minutes. We're gonna pray out loud. And those questions will be on the screen here in just a second, and then we'll pray together. So let's pray, and, uh, and then we'll get in groups. God, I love you. I thank you for the wonderfully ordinary work of awakening. God, some of us, we have gotten to the point that we're at in life, and we feel like... Um, 
a couple of college kids in a random parking lot. We have no idea how we drifted to the place that we drifted. But God, in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, would you just help us to come here with gratitude, going, man, thank you that you spared us. And then God, would you awaken us fully to what you have for us. God, I pray that as um, we come into your presence in this moment, as we get ready for communion, as we, as we get ready to, to, to choose worship, as we do all these things that, God, we would recognize that you have been mightily at work among us. And we don't wanna go another day or another moment without stopping to say thank you for being a God that answers prayers. Thank you for being a God that is real. Thank you for being a God that loves us. And God, we thank you for every little thing you did and every big thing you did and everything in between. And we thank, we thank you for the stuff that we didn't even recognize or acknowledge. God, for the, the people in this room who still need to take a step and have not taken a step all month long for whatever reason, God, would you give them the courage to do that today? In the name of Jesus, I pray and give thanks. Amen. I love you. Let's get in groups. Let's pray together. These um, two questions are gonna be up on the screen. Let's just spend some time just thanking God. And here in a few moments, I'll send you uh, to communion.